you don't understand. We don't do math, right? We just do we just <laughs> do osmosis. Two times make zero it is still zero. But I'm still doubling your pay, so it's still a win. That's fine. All right, Whatever so you, you have to tell yourself, yourself so you sleep at night. Like I doubled your pay. What more do you want? But we're not here to argue about your paycheck problems. All right. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy problems, problems <laughs> fans, it's time for your daily <laughs> dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. There's three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. And we promise maybe even halfway through, Doc might sober up. We don't know. A place Excuse where me, screen. you just called them problems. Well, I mean, you know, 99 bottles and... Whatever. Uh, isn't that how the cadence goes? <laughs> a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. And without further ado, to save us from our shenanigans, and this is why we didn't pre-record all of the intros, because this kind of shenanigans couldn't happen if we didn't make it up as we went along. We're going to introduce you to our guest, Miss Janice J.A. Andrews, is how she publishes. So uh, Janice, could you introduce yourself to the uh, listening and viewing audience, please? You know, there's two things about author interviews that should be super simple and they just suck. One is introducing yourself and the other is like, give your 30 second spiel about your book. Oh, that's so, coming too. I know, I know it's coming. And I'm already like, I should have planned, but I didn't. So here we go. Um, I am a mother of three, married, I live in Montana. And I uh, write epic fantasy. Like I grew up in the eighties and nineties with like super classic fantasy. And I just deeply love all the old tropes and stuff. So anyway, a lot of that influenced uh, my books. So yeah, epic fantasy. I homeschool my kids. Uh, we oh, live uh, you're just a patient saint. Well, they're old now. I mean, they're not old. Like, <laughs> between Don't worry, they probably won't listen. <laughs> no, they. Oh, they won't. Um, they're like ten-year-olds. 10, think they're old. Yes. Yes. I have and a nine-year-old. He thinks he's mature. Mm-hmm. They've become like really self-sufficient and amazing. So uh, years ago, it was like a lot of work to homeschool, but now it's pretty dope, actually. So I I almost feel guilty about the little bit of leading they need to do stuff, but they're having fun and it's going well. And my oldest actually just uh, wrote a hundred thousand word fan fiction for Warrior Cats. And is awesome. So I'm like, I'm claiming it was like this homeschool win, and that I really led him down this path. But he it's, he did it. It's almost like he's a rocket scientist or something. See, I it is just, it is. I was just eyeing the warrior cats and thinking it, I couldn't decide if it was a boy or a girl series from a from a young male's perspective. Mm -hmm. so. It seems to be just sort of like across the board, all kids love it. And okay, okay I'm not I'm not a cat person. And like, so I'm just kind of like, what? And cats die like nonstop in this series. Like my kids are constantly sad because some cat is dying. Like there's all these cat battles and they're always dying. It's <laughs> kind, of kind of dark, but yeah. okay. They have like clans and clan wars and there's bad clans and it's very in-depth. There's like this very in-depth world that's been created and kids love it. So, oh the, yeah, anyway. no, there's shelves and shelves at Burns and Noble mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Barnes and Noble are still a thing? Wow. JR, you will die. <laughs> They're not she's a thing like, around here anymore. She, she's not Team Bezos. She, she's just not. But um, <laughs> so is it is it true that um, you, you see Yeti on a regular basis and you had to sign some sort of non-disclosure agreement so you didn't write about him? 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. About two years ago, we bought some land in Montana in the mountains. And so we're like deep in the forests and it's awesome. And no, I, I, I can't, I can't confirm whether we've seen yetis, but bears and mountain lions and things that are thankfully like the mountain lion anyway was like on a camera on our property, not like in front of us, but like the second or third night we were here, we were still in a camper actually. Whoa. And uh, a bear came walking down our street, <laughs> like wow. our driveway that had been dug in. Yeah. We were just like, ha, ah. it was shocking. See, that's how then we, we made noise and he took off and it, 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 like the story really fizzles out there after we saw the bear. But, <laughs> well, you know, before you made the noise, your husband had to go wrestle him to the ground and be like, look, this is my property. Now you get the heck off my land. It was totally, yeah. totally legit. See, like, it's that infantry thing. JR knows how to spin the yarn into yeah. something. That's what happened. You know, if yeah. I did a little better, I would have made staff sergeant. But instead, I was honest. <laughs> that didn't work out for me. Never pays. No, it doesn't. I have a whole living from lying all the time. Just make <laughs> stuff up. Yeah. You, you get one little colonel who asks your opinion, and you think he really wants your opinion. But no, what he wants is you to repeat <laughs> his opinion back to him to confirm what he thinks he already knows. And it didn't end well. The good news was he was nice and he let me shred my E6 packet instead of doing it himself. So that was a little touch of something special, I guess. See, that's why I just told them always, you lead the way, sir. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I get they just for stare at me, not sure if I was being sarcastic or not. You can get away with that when you're an E4. Not so much once you're a sergeant and they expect you to actually have, like, tactical opinions and shit. Stuff. Sorry. <laughs> I know. It was glorious. <laughs> that's the downdraft. You get promoted too high and you just got to actually work or something. Mafia for life, baby. All right. I should have stayed there. All right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first met Janice. And so I actually met her at a Yeti recovery convention. We were talking mm -hmm. about what we weren't allowed to talk about. Non-disclosure yeah. agreements were signed with the people at Area 52. It's like Area 51, but cooler. And so, cooler. yeah, we can't really talk about how we met, but you know now that we didn't tell. Like, we didn't tell you yeah. what we didn't tell you. But what about you, Doc? I actually met her through a mutual acquaintance who, uh, who we've had on the show. Bryce O'Connor, and he mm -hmm. was like, hey, Blasters and Blades would love to bring in some new people. Who wants in? And she was smart enough to eat. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. so we, we actually, mm -hmm. the Yeti thing came because, you know, Montana, but apparently people actually write like Bigfoot romance novels. I thought it was a joke. Yes, they do. And then I checked the yeah. uh, KDP Rocket, which is now what? Publisher's Rocket. I'm like, holy smokes, mm -hmm. this is really a thing. I thought people were just messing with me. So now that, it yeah. fascinates me the kind of like not so much the stories because you know whatever but like the people <laughs> that would read and write the stories I'm like huh it's like a who done it uh, yes that has industry. been a, a topic of boinking beasties I was a little <laughs> bit like I don't know I, I felt a little weird after listening to that panel doc I got to be honest with you <laughs> so I don't know maybe maybe everyone on that panel should talk to their doctor just send me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doc, we get to ask her the religion questions and see if she gets to stick Awesome. Ooh. So if you had to pick a three, pick one of these three sci-fi properties, which one would you pick? Last Starfire, or Fighter, bleh, Last Starfighter, Enemy Mine, or Dune? Because 1980s um, was a good decade. Dude, Last Starfighter. Yeah. Excellent choice. Because, yeah, when you go, then they make that clone of you that stays here and like does all the crap work you're supposed to do but you get to go 
Right. And right. Then they yeah. ruin your romances because they get it wrong and they repeat the wrong they things, do. which is kind of funny. It is funny. So that was. That I was have no funny. romances. They can just take over. It won't be a problem. <laughs> but what if they messed up in the lab because they didn't understand human chemistry? There is no thing as human chemistry. It's just unless you're talking like <laughs> the chemistry, biochemistry of the body of the human body. Well, I do analytical chemistry, chemistry and analytical iodine's going to react the same way everywhere. No, it's not. In- you don't know that. Have you been to Mars and tried it there? No, you have not. <laughs> it's possible. Your little science gonna try to tell me how things go. I make it up. I know. I, I'm with I'm with Doc on this one. But I also you're really a rocket scientist. I know I, I spy am. on you. I, I am. I didn't even include that, but it's true. And <laughs> it's not true. I I that's what my degree's in. I've never done it. <laughs> that's fine. Your degree is yeah. infinitely better than his degree. <laughs> Look, history degrees are entirely valid, all right? Colonial America was a very important time period to study. And anyone that could disagree with me is dead, so they don't care. It was, but it's not one of those skills degrees. I mean, I can know, research with the, the Bachelors of Arts because you're frou-frou-y. Hey, all right? I could I could research with the best of them, just on dead people. It's like that boy in that movie. I see dead people everywhere. <laughs> all right, Doc. We got one more religion question to see if she sticks around. As do- uh, okay. Aragon, Dragon, or Dragon Slayer? What was the second one? Dragonheart. Um. So, I, I'm I I haven't actually read. So I started Aragon, but like, it was like I was too old. Really, <laughs> I wasn't like young enough to like just grab it and be excited about it. I think there's a and, sweet spot for Aragon. I think there is. And like, if you read it during that spot, then you just love it forever. Like nostalgically or maybe for real. I don't know. Um, but I was too, I was too old. And so I was like, okay. I mean, it was fine. Like, you know, I'm not like one of those people that's like going to hate on it, but I guess, I mean, I'll pick that one because that, that one's I'm at least familiar with. I Bad, love right? Dragonheart. Um, and I think my brothers would disown me if I said <laughs> anything other than Dragonheart on the question. <laughs> Well, I mean, your brothers really have excellent taste. That was my favorite, too. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm, I, we have the entire Dragonheart, all the Dragonheart movies, because there were sequels. There were. I didn't there know were. there were sequels. Yes, there, there were. were sequels. So right. I, given what you write, I figured we would go with themed questions as much as possible. But since you can't put dragons in sci-fi, Doc, yes, there were no can. movies for that. What kind of weird spot pot are you smoking again? I mean, just the good stuff. It's okay. You're supposed to smoke it, not chew it. Well, now you tell me that wasn't in the directions. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> you know what, Janice? You're very lovely. Would you like a job? We'll fire Doc. You could be the co-host. It'll be okay. I've seen her fired like three times in like the three episodes I've seen of you, and she's still here. I know. She tries to cut us. And he Nick Carver's so afraid of her. He's in witness protection right now. <laughs> True story, Nick. If you're listening, if you could come out, it's safe now. <laughs> anyway, so as everybody knows, we love both sci-fi and fantasy. But which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Um, really, just fantasy. I mean, I just grew up <laughs> reading like everything. Not Barnes and Noble, Walden Books at the mall. I remember. My, I remember Walden money. Books. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, it was I great. Went to so Books I just read. 
I, I like, used to walk to Walden Books. I remember one time there was one near my house and my mom goes, I don't want to go to the store. Yeah, so you're on your own to get go get your book. And I went, okay. And I walked down and I was I was leaving the neighborhood. It's only a mile. I'm good. My mother kind of freaked out. She was like, no, no, no. Come back here. Never mind. We, we used to do that. But I remember I when really Barnes and Nobles made the shift. That next book. I remember when yeah. Barnes and Nobles made the shift when they were just a bookstore to when they became a toy store that sometimes had books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you quit hating? I'm not hating, but I went in there the other day with the kid and it was like two quarters or two thirds of the, the store space nope, was all like nope. toys and stuff. Nope. There's only one little like maybe, maybe, maybe 25% of my, my Barnes and Noble. Well, is your Barnes and Noble is not my Barnes and Noble. It's a really. toy store. My Barnes and Noble is a two story at Barnes and Noble. Well, we're not that cool, okay? We're one story, but we've got a decent coffee shop. So I guess there's that. It's nice to have the coffee. Yep. It is nice to have the coffee. Yeah. But the only sci-fi I ever here. the only they sci-fi have... I ever was in like drawn into. And it, I don't know that I have anything against sci-fi. I was just like super fantasy nerd. But like uh, my parents were always like, there's better things to do than watch TV. Except on Saturday nights when we'd have pizza and my mom loved Star Trek Next Generation. And so we would watch like, I I don't even care like what show it was. I would have loved it because we got to watch TV during dinner. So that was like awesome. And yeah, so I mean, I probably watched like every episode of that show ever. You know, I expected you to be like, yeah, sci-fi was totally my first love. I don't know how I ended up writing fantasy when I saw that you were legitimately went to school for rocket sciences. I don't know how, like, yeah, I hate sci-fi. You're like, wait, wait, what? No, yeah. she didn't say she hates sci-fi. I know, but, you I know, know. I'm exaggerating. It's called hyperbole. She did science fiction. She did science. Sometimes you need a break. Okay, so It does do have feel- a lot less, like, wonder to it because I'm like, well, you know, like, yeah, I had to do a big test on how that would actually work and it works or theoretically it would work. And I don't know, it loses something. And I know that's terrible. Like sci-fi people are like, what? But No, 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 no. I actually totally understand it. Cause I had somebody who was like, here, read this book, science fiction book. And it, Oh, it, cause you're a chemist. And I'm like, they're chemistry. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's not how it, and I'm like, okay, I need to put this away and go, go, go binge read some uh, Mercedes lackey for a bit. That'll I, help. I, I guess I kind of get it. I got the Bachelor's of Arts and I write sci-fi. She's got the science degree and she leads the fantasy track. So maybe there's something yeah. to this. Uh, yeah, well, maybe. I just love that, that. I look at people all the time when they ask me stuff at Dragon Con and I went, I do, I do fantasy. I don't do science. And somebody once asked why everybody giggles every time I say that. <laughs> so speaking of giggling, you mentioned that you had pizza over the, over the Star Trek. So mm-hmm. how do you take your pizza? This is an important question for this podcast. Well, pepperoni and mushrooms actually is the That's ideal an excellent choice. pizza. Yeah. How do you feel about pineapples desecrating the holy pizza? <laughs> I, I actually I like it, but I mean it's not like I'd pick it if there were pepperoni and mushrooms there. But if there was no pepperoni and mushrooms, I would pineapple. Like pineapple's good on it's just good. So you make it hot, it's still good. Yep. Yeah. You know, if I wasn't afraid Doc would cut me, I'd be kicking everyone that said that out of the podcast she does they are? That's just because you, we wouldn't have a podcast because i'd have to go do one without you she tries <laughs> to stab me on a pretty regular basis off show people i might need an intervention please send help all right don't send so, help he likes it 
what was your first uh, memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it watching that uh, Star Trek with your family or was it, you know, reading books, playing games? What, where do you remember discovering the field of spec fic? Uh, reading, definitely. My brother was a big, he's four years older than me and he was a big fantasy book nerd also. And so he had uh, a big bookshelf. I'm not sure it was really big. In my childhood mind, it was a big bookshelf. But he gave me um, The Belgariad by David Eddings at That's some point when I was looking too. for something to read. Excellent and I voice. was just, yeah, I just had never been so sucked into anything in my life. I just loved it. Totally understand that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good answer. So what is it about this, the field of speculative fiction that you love? The rockets. That's what she loves. Clearly. All the rockets and the science. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I think I love that there's like this, these two different aspects of it. Like the first one is that there's like still this sense of wonder in the world because you're, you're usually with the character, you're sort of discovering some kind of magic or something you just couldn't have even comprehended happening and it's happening. And so that's really cool because, you know, the real world, you don't encounter that all that often. (laughs) It's just like cell phones and computers and that's boring. Um, and the other thing I really like about it is I love how you can talk about real world issues, but when you put it in a fantasy world, it's somehow like not as threatening. Like you're not, it's not, you know, like you were sort of born on this side of this issue and now you have to look at it. But if you're between elves and dwarves and you can kind of talk about these issues and these relationships and things that have to happen that in, in our world would be really tense but when you set them in a different world, I just feel like you can explore a lot more what's really going on and, and maybe find some solutions. I don't know you the real find, world. You can, you can have those conversations that might, uh, in with real world identities, start just getting too emotionally heavy to mm-hmm. actually see and talk calmly about. Yeah. I'll accept that as an answer. All right. So how did your love of speculative fiction? Hey, like I am the arbiter of all things right about science and science fiction. And clearly she is not because she puts pineapple on the sacred pizza pot. I'm I'm digging my way out of that. (laughs) It's okay. Doc likes you. So I I can't kick you. Like I said, she's trying to stab me on a regular basis. So how did your love of science? uh, speculative? What's that? You like it. Shh, don't tell everybody. How did your love of speculative uh, fiction as a genre transition into you writing stories in this space? That is a good question because um, I feel like every author I talked to was like, I wanted to be an author since I was five and blah, blah. And I totally didn't. Um, I mean, I really like science. I did engineering. Like I, I love, I did math. Um, and I always loved reading, but I don't think it ever occurred to me ever that you can have a career as an author. Like authors were these distant magical beings, right? They weren't like real people. <laughs> you could yeah. just, it wasn't until um, I was married. I had taken like a couple random creative writing classes that um, were really focused on traditional publishing and querying and trying to get short stories into magazines, like that kind of path. Um, and the query letter thing, just like the idea just like crushed my soul and I couldn't bring myself to wanting to do that. So I kind of forgot the whole publishing idea. But um, my husband actually went out of town for a month. Um, and so he was on a rotation in 
Philadelphia somewhere. And he was really bored. And this was like a long time ago. We had email. <laughs> I don't even remember if we had cell phones. Um, but uh, so I would I, to entertain him because he was so bored. I would like write a chapter each night and send it to him. And like my goal was to try and make the characters fun. And then to kind of leave him on a cliffhanger every night so that I like tortured him just a little bit. Um, and <laughs> so one Arabian nights, but not so he yeah. didn't kill you just to keep him entertained. Exactly. It was like a nice like version it. of that. Yeah. And oh, so that's um, like really sweet yeah. love letters. Yeah, exactly. With like some creepy orcs and goblins and, and elves. People dying and yeah. Um, yes, you do. Yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, those it took me, that was years and years ago. And, but we came back home and we had one kid and I was pregnant. There was all this. So there were all these babies. So we didn't, I didn't do anything for years, but those characters just kind of like always kind of hung around in my head and I liked them all. And so when I finally found out indie publishing was a thing in like 2012, probably, I decided maybe I'd try and turn those chapters into a book and realize I knew nothing about writing at all. And um, yeah, so it took till 2000. 16 in July when I published my first book. But the beginning of that book are the first chapters deeply, deeply edited um, that I had sent him when he was far away. <laughs> nice. 2016 was a good uh, year when a lot of people seemed to have entered into the market. That's when I published my yeah. first book too. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, it was a great yeah. year. It's yeah. a great year. It's a great vintage, Doc. <laughs> exactly. You say so. Uh, we hadn't fired you yet though. So, you know, you're probably still distracted. I mean, hired. I mean, hired, of course. Don't worry. We'll triple your pay today. All right. So, he uses uh, this, like, totally interchangeably. Fired, hired, double pay, yeah, whatever. Whatever. It's convenient. Um, <laughs> so many authors let their own real-life experiences influence the way they tell stories. So were there any moments that shaped the kind of stories you tell? Um, was it watching your husband wrestle that bear? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I need a bear wrestling scene in my books. Um no, but you'll see. <laughs> so we moved to, first time we moved to Montana, we moved a bunch, but we moved to Montana like eight years ago and I was writing my first book and you see them, we're in the mountains, right? So it's like pine forests and beautiful rivers and all this stuff. And so in that book, everybody's traveling through that kind of land and they love it and everything nature is great and everything in the city sucks, right? Like it's just there. And then we actually had to spend um, a couple years in Great Falls, Montana, which is like way over on the plains. And so you're surrounded by grass and there's no mountains. And um, <laughs> the second book of that series, which isn't even the series we're talking about, uh, the main character is like stuck on these grasslands and he hates it. <laughs> and he just is always talking about how like boring it is. So if you read my books, you can you can tell probably where I was living at the time, depending on whether my characters are like, yes, we're in the forest. This is great. Or like, oh, there's more grass. <laughs> I mean, I understand that feeling. I've had that feeling about sand. Yeah. Yes. Like, <laughs> I bet. So. <laughs> so, all right, Doc, team to redeem yourself and see if you're going to get that triple uh, pay bonus today. I am, but you get half pay. Uh, so, damn it. Trans <laughs> so, transitioning to some of the fan stuff, have you had any cool? fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet um i have um there's a poem in i need to think about which book we're talking about here okay the book we're talking about today dragon's reach there's a poem where uh this one character she's in this um 
like priory world, right? She's so this is religious world. She's not super involved in it, but one of the other characters um, has lost her family. They were all killed. And so she has this sort of prayer that she says for this lost family. And I had a reader send me um, an email and ask if it was okay if he composed music for it because he's in a choir that actually on Veterans Day every year does a performance. And so they wanted to like use the words in a song, like from in memory of all the veterans who had passed away. And so I thought that was super cool. So he sent me a recording of it and everything. It's really cool. Oh, would you please share us, share that with us? Because we would love that for to hear it. Yeah, I, I need to make sure, like I had tried to upload on my website once and it um, didn't work and then life happened and I never got around to it. But I will, as soon as I get it up, I will like send you guys. It's really cool. So, cause that's, that's really touching and that's a wonderful tribute both to your work. Yeah. I so. was just like, like really like Although, that he even thought it was good. Yeah. So while we are talking about the first book in the, in the Dragon's Reach series today, or Dragon's Reach was the first book in the series, as far as these questions, they're a little bit more broad. So if you've gotten from other series or books that you've written, that's perfectly acceptable at this point. So we try to structure the interview, getting to know you, trying not to hate you if you like pineapple on pizza. Then we talk about the books. Gotcha. So we got we got okay. a method to our madness, maybe. That's normally <laughs> my line. You've corrupted me with your science and crap. I, I when people look at me, I'm like, "There's a method to my madness. Just answer this question." For me, there's just madness, but it's okay. Anybody who's known therapy. me more than five years normally looks at me and goes, "I'm afraid." <laughs> you should be all right, but we're gonna let her so, answer the question. So, has anyone asked for your your autograph out in public, book signings, conventions, in a particularly funny way? So, I actually like my first really good year of selling books was 2019, which was great. But then mm -hmm. 2020 is probably where I would have like gone to do stuff like in public. <laughs> we all know how well but, that ended right yeah that that's going just great so by no. the way my but, new year's resolution for 2020 actually was to be more social and go on and do stuff <laughs> the whole universe was against you i know <laughs> so there's been um i mean like people have reached out online that's about as that's about as close as we all get right these days but yeah um, so I do have, I, I hadn't even had any books around to like keep and sign it like being an author. So it's like surreal, right? Like I like write the book by myself and it gets edited and stuff, but then like, it's just weird still that other people read them. And then they're like, well, can I have, have a signed copy for Christmas? Coming up? That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. Yeah. yeah. We should totally get you out to some conventions. Definitely. Yeah. But there are people at conventions, Doc. You know how I feel about people. I didn't that say is... that you should go. I said she should go. I know, but but okay. I'm just I'm just weighing my objection to people in general. And then we can move on. Okay. <laughs> we'll have pineapple so, pizza while we're there. <laughs> you're killing me, Janice. Janice we will. All the more five seconds. Yeah. I heard you are rocket scientist. I'm like, she's my people. And she's like, nope, torpedo idea. I could have told nope. you she wasn't your people because math is involved in rocket science. <laughs> Look, all right. I do math just fine. It's just when you start putting those weird letters in math problems, it's not math anymore. And I'm how sorry. many people go to Dragon Con, JR? 52. Thousand. 
52. 52,000 is not a real number. It's a government conspiracy. Okay. So, has have you spotted anybody out reading your books, you know, with the binoculars in Montana or something like that? <laughs> no, but I have two. <laughs> I'd be more likely to find some sort of kettle, probably. <laughs> in my, I think we have more cattle than people, maybe. Maybe not. That I know Wyoming does. We might actually have enough people. But um, I do have two different friends who have sent me emails, like, just super excited because they were either in a friend's house or one of them, um, he's like a handyman. And he was doing work at someone's house and he walked by their, the banister and their railing. And my book was sitting there with like a bookmark in it. And he was like, oh, I know that author. I mean like, no, right. 2020, yeah. no. And yeah. And I was like, shut up. Like you really like in real life, you a real person. So I was like, I was so super that's, stoked. I was like, that's awesome. That's both cool. Yeah. And I can empathize. Cause I only have two friends also. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just two. And I'm not one of them. <laughs> I mean, you just threatened to stab me. I don't know if that's where our friendships are starting, Doc. I think we need to do a little intervention. But. Oh, you know what? They can read the art, listen to the archives, and find out where our friendship really started. There was booze involved. <laughs> there always is. <laughs> There's always is. All right. So this is where we talk about everything Janice, as publishing as J.A. Andrews, has written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest um, of your body of work? Yes, I am way more, I could say boring. We call, we call it streamlined than other authors. Um, all of my work is in the same world. It's all the same magic. It's just all the same. I'm not fast. I write like a book a year. So um, I don't have time. Like so many authors I know write like so many different amazing things. And I'm like, I'm still trucking on my one line here. Um, but I have my first trilogy is the keeper chronicles and keepers are like this the sort of center of this world they're the magic wielders um and magic's not very common so they're unusual but they're also like historians and storytellers and so they're uh they live sort of separated so they're not like trying to influence politically or anything but they like they like seriously love books so much <laughs> and stories and history and they're they like travel as storytellers too but they like collect stories from the people and stuff like that so um and so they have this huge library in a land that doesn't have very many libraries um so my first trilogy is uh, that each book is a different keeper and they're loosely related there's an overarching storyline but it's each one um just sort of dealing with um like usually the world ends up being at stake but each one is really like a pretty personal journey from one of them like the first one his wife has gotten, uh, she was poisoned um, and he can't find a cure. And and these are like the most knowledgeable people in the land, right? So anyway, he can't find a cure. And so he's like magically <laughs> got her in this like coma, right? So she can't get worse. And he's been searching and searching for this cure. And he's, he's done some like really dark stuff trying to find this cure for her. And in general, the keepers are like the good guys. They don't go down the dark paths. And so he's been, he's like very torn about whether he's still a keeper or not. And so it, the, his story is he has this one last chance to find something that might actually save her. And so he's on a quest to see if he can find that. But the whole time the world is like, we really need you to be a keeper and you need to be back. And he's like, I, so this is big internal struggle with him as to whether he deserves to be, you know, it's this, this idea of like, 
what we turned out to be as adults compared to what we assumed we would be yeah. <laughs> as adults, which are really different from each other. So anyway, each book is, is like that. I think a gr that's a great thing to talk about. I know um, I was talking with some other adult fantasy authors. Wait, wait, adult fantasy or <laughs> adult fantasy? They're adults writing fantasy, but they they do focus mm -hmm. on a, adult literature. But talking about kind of, you know, YA ha is great and they have a lot of those coming of age stories and there's a lot mm -hmm. of fantasy where that is by the nature of like, because it's based, most fantasies based off the Renaissance, most characters, adulthood was much younger than what mm -hmm. we do it as now. But that there weren't these adult stories about, you know, uh, well, one, one of them point out her series is about a, somebody who's been in this field who has burnout. She's been a de demon slayer yeah. and she's dealing with burnout and, you know, being a single mom and, uh, and, and a demon slayer. So these different stories that are adult stories that we mm -hmm. can relate to as adults because we're going through some of those same things. And mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. I yeah, love that. So about much. Fantasy. There's so much in fantasy about like, uh, growing into like who you could be right there's this yeah. idea of like if you're the chosen one or you're whatever you're going to be a demon slayer there's this discovering who you can be and and getting into that but i mean like for most of us that are over like 25 <laughs> that time has passed <laughs> and now we yeah. have another 60 years of realizing like am i who i want to be you know and 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 if i set off on one path like did that path lead me really where i wanted to go like i feel like this is a it's a huge a huge chunk of life that we can talk about. So I, I actually Katie has said when Katie Cross we we talked about her a little bit in the pre-show. She's a friend of the show. When she came on, she talked about something I'd heard in the infantry before too that if you want to win the war, you don't send the eighteen-year-old privates that got no idea of what's going on in life and no fear. You send the forty-year-old, three-time divorced NCO who's got like <laughs> two years before he can retire and no Fs to give. That's who you send, and the war will be over in a week. Uh, yeah. I've heard yep. that, you know, that old line, the, it's in the old retirees because they've got, you know, a lot of rage and their trigger finger still works. <laughs> I think that works in fantasy too. Having lived a somewhat adventurous life in my youth, dodging bullets and the like, like I look at some of the stuff I did back then and I'm like, man, I was an idiot. Yeah. There were so many better <laughs> ways to skin that cat, right? Like, uh, yeah. And so I, I think about the world, if the world is really at stake, which is, you know, it's common in, in sci-fi and fantasy. So that's not... It's sort of, I think, a universal trope of spec fic. Do yeah. you really want the 18-year-old who apparently just found out not only are he or she a royal, but they also just lost their parents? <laughs> no, by the way, their parents aren't really their parents, but there's also the love triangle with the two people who maybe they love. And they like, no, they got too much shit mm -hmm. going on. Like, let the grown-ups right? handle it. You go sit down in the nursery. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I love, I went back to school as an adult, and I had somebody go, you're always so honest. And I'm like, I do not have time to deal with the bullshit of not being honest. It is just so much easier to just be mm -hmm. honest and they're like you're never dealing with the drama and i'm like i have real drama no drama your drama is not real yes like i'm like i'm sorry whether or not you change your name after you get married to the guy who hasn't even proposed yet that's really not <laughs> drama that's really not i have important drama <laughs> like i have that iep yeah. meeting i gotta go to after this test so let's start so yeah. 
I, I realized we missed an opportunity, Doc, when she was talking about the autograph section. We mm. didn't ask her if he, she used her super secret Illuminati space program contacts to use the satellite system to spy on people. Because that is an opportunity not other authors we have interviewed have had. I'm I'm sorry. I don't normally think people spy on people. I just let you do the internet stalking. Like I just call it research. You don't have to call it spying. Research. <laughs> it falls right. under the the Yeti umbrella. I can't really I can't really. Talk oh, that's, that's about true. That. I forgot about the Indians. Yeah. Governments get real finicky about that stuff. All right. So then, while all of that work that you that you've talked about the universe sounds very fascinating, today we're going to talk about Dragon's Reach, an epic fantasy adventure, which is the that's the whole title. It's a mouthful, people. This is the first novel in the Keeper <laughs> Origins series. So where did you get the premise for this universe? Was it that uh, time you wrote those letters to your husband? Uh, was it psychedelics, Ouija board, too much pure mountain air? Come on, how'd you come up with it? It was drinking rocket fuel. Sorry, wait, that was whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's interchangeable, right? There's a little bit of each involved that was really in stages. Yeah, those first stories, those first chapters really started it. And then the fact that those characters were all storytellers and historians, um, that whole first series is full of them referencing stories and history and blah, blah, blah. So um, uh, the second- History is cool. (laughs) It is, it is. Although fake history is more fun maybe than real history. I mean, if you study history long enough, you realize a lot of it is fake. That's okay. true. That's true. You know what? Sometimes I'm going I- to say this one. I had a history teacher who was very disappointed because I could not keep my uh, King Henry's and, and James's straight. But I could tell her the entire history of Pern or Darkover or the Valdemar universe by Mercedes Lackey. And um, and I did make one very good point to her. They all had unique names without numbers behind them. This is fair. Yes. And you care, help. which also helps. But if you're doing American history, though, then you're in a better shape because at least we don't continually do the same yes. names. So, but we were doing uh, non-U.S. history that year. And, and some of the like every names every, every country anymore. not in the United in, in uh, North America or South America that year. Yeah. yeah. And we we don't reuse the boring names like Ezekiel. Nobody does that anymore. Ezekiel's <laughs> not a boring name. It's a fun name. Just don't ask me how to spell it. I don't know either. <laughs> there are some names that you just spell so badly. Even spell checks like what the f, dude. Like no, <laughs> not doing this. But all right, so this is the cool part of the interview where we get to talk about the cover. So can you tell oh, us yeah. how you came up with the uh, the cover for this one? Uh, yeah, so I have this uh, thing. <laughs> I have trouble with like a lot of people on covers a lot. Yes. Um, and there's there are some super cool covers with people's like there are people's yes with people's, um, but like a symbol cover like i just really love symbol covers so it's like a um, dragon Dera- its tail yeah so uh deranged doctor designs did these actually and they did great and so we did like the this like this pr- there's these three priories in the so, oh so this whole um series is the series that tells the story of the very first keepers and the very first queen of the country that they live in which is called queensland which not Australian at all. <laughs> this is what happens when you write a book that you weren't ever intentionally going to publish like a long time ago that you put these names in and then later you're like, I totally would have changed that had I realized I was going to make a whole life off of this series. But anyway, it's called Queensland. 
named after their queen. Um, so uh, there's these priories. I thought you were going to be like, it's named after the king. We call it Queensland. <laughs> exactly. He wasn't as important. do that for you, JR. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yeah. So it was really cool to just be able to put like the kind of churchy looking stuff in the middle and symbols. I just love symbols. So and- is there any significance to the or the reference to the Ouroboros, the snake eating itself and you get the dragon eating itself? Not really. Just it just needed a, just a circle. We can pretend it does if you want. That I'm makes you feel better. <laughs> um, yeah, I got it's, nothing actually. In ancient cultures, it was the symbol for eternal life. I'm probably I, I the like it because it makes a window that you can see through. Or a portal for science. Portal. <laughs> science. Yeah. JR is yep. bringing out his science big guns tonight. And if you're not <laughs> impressed, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Look, Stargate is real, all right? They found it in the desert. It is real. It is behind Cheyenne Mountain. I don't care what yeah. you say. Ugh. Anyway, we're going to go back to talking about dragons now, Doc, and be serious, all right? Okay. All right, so, so how did you find the guy that you hired, the, the design company that you used for this? Um, I had some – I several friends I knew had used them, although some of them for people covers – they do. They had uh, a really nice selection of like symbol covers on their website, also. So, yeah. So they did all three for the whole series, and they just came out really great. So I I feel like everything in the indie world is uh, authors talking to each other. Like we all just talk all the time about who we use for covers and who we use for editing and just everything. And so I I mean you just say, hey, I'm looking for a cover designer and people just avalanche cover designers at you. True, but with with the evolution and the stepping up of the indie community to compete more fully with the trad pub, uh, you start seeing like quality improvements. And so mm-hmm. there have also been instances because of that where people that are actual legitimate artists in their day job will read a book they like and be like, I could do a better cover for you, bro. And so you, you get yeah. plenty of times where the story is like they were a fan first and then they started doing the art. So, you know, we, we ask because it could be kind of cool. Before we It'd let be Doc cool. take the next question, because she's she's giving me the look. I can feel it already. Why do you not like people on covers? So I <laughs> you want the long version or the short version? I'm okay with either. I got all night, but I'm anti people, too. Okay. So I feel you. I just I mean, people in okay. general, not people on covers. <laughs> so um, I I. You know, mostly it's like a face. So if they're facing away, if there's like a shadow, or if they're like a space person with like a helmet thing and I can't see their face really well, it's better. And there's some people that it just looks fine. But then like sometimes something about their expression, I'm just like, I don't like that person. And then <laughs> and then it's really hard to pick up the book. And then I feel like a shallow person because I don't like the cover of the book and so I don't want to read it. So it's just this bad cycle. So if I put a symbol on there, then I don't have to deal with that cycle. This is why you should, you you should go. go into sci-fi because then you could just put spaceship ass on the ship and you're good. Really, that is. That's true. Spaceship like, ass is the only kind of ass JR gets, so he's very attached Ouch. to it. Ouch, Doc. That hurt. That was low. I think I might cry myself to sleep tonight. All right. Low, but still above your ass. Ouch. All right, Doc. I'm going to mute you. Like We're just going to continue this interview. <laughs> okay. So now the dreaded 30-second elevator pitch question. No, 30 seconds is long, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, so in this story, Sable is the main character, and she has been, like, indentured to this vicious, 
scummy gang boss guy in the slum of the city. Um, and she was really young when she got there and she has a sister who's younger than her that she's been taking care of this whole time. Um, but you know, she just, no matter what she does, she can't pay off the debt to this guy. And, uh, she, she is, she actually hides some money from him to try and, you know, save up secret stuff to like eventually get away and he finds it and, uh, things are going really bad and he ends up giving her this sort of impossible, she, she steals for him because, uh, see, this is the whole 30 seconds thing is really hard because she has this magical ability that she can tell if someone's telling the truth or lying. So she's a thief, but only, <laughs> um, because she can like listen to people talk about what it is that they're keeping or hiding or whatever. And she can tell if they're lying about where it is and stuff like that. So she uses that to, to steal things for this jerk. And so anyway, he sets her this sort of impossible heist and he's, he's going to like take it out on her sister if, if she doesn't actually get the thing. So she ends up deciding that what she really needs to do is escape. And so she ends up escaping the city uh, with this traveling theater troupe um, and then uh, starts to travel with them around. So the story ends up being with this group that are kind of famous actors um, and they kind of take her along. They, they need a, a backup um, female um, actress for just a short time, for a couple weeks until they pick up their real actress. And so she she joins them. And the fact that she can kind of feel truth and things like that, it actually ends up making her able to kind of understand the audience better and to be able to. So she ends up learning how to act, although her first tries are really horrible. Uh, and so she travels with them. And as, as they're going, they discover that there's actually this huge threat of this big empire that's coming to attack, but nobody really knows this is happening. And so they have to get back and warn everybody. And... Yeah, so that it really spirals from there. <laughs> so Doesn't... when you when you say that she can sense when people's lying, is that like a magical ability? Is it just she can read like facial expressions and see body cues? No, it's magical. So she feels if somebody lies, it feels like cold to her, and if they're telling the truth, it feels like warmer. So okay, it makes her it makes it really interesting it's to a new write game her. Of hot and cold. Yes. And so and most of the time people don't really like most of the time people aren't really saying anything. It's like sort of profoundly true or completely a lie. So most of the time it doesn't really impact her. But, you know, if the gang boss is trying to explain to her why this thing that he needs, she needs to seal is so important and every single word out of his mouth is a lie. She's like, this is interesting. <laughs> so it, it helps. It, it's a really super easy way to get subtext in there because she can tell exactly if they're lying or not exciting that is so awesome. was was that originally a, a concept that you had in the story when you were sending it via you know aol dial-up and robots were sacrificing <laughs> themselves back to your husband or is this something I, you added I, in revisions there may have been i i we may have just stepped up from dial-up in there just so you know this is how long ago it was um it was not actually so like uh, the normal magic system in the world um, is just this, man it's sciencey. You would like it. It's like this manipulation of energy so they can move energy from kind of like one living thing or a fire or something and put it in something else. So that's what most of the magic is. So um, hers was just a little bit different. And it just occurred to me as a really interesting skill to give somebody who herself at the beginning of the story, she's just very in a very powerless position. So it was nice to give her something that could hopefully someday help her 
to fight her way so, out of where she the was The cool thing about that is that only works if they know they're lying. So she could still be manipulated by someone who believes they're telling her the truth. Yes, And that gives totally. you plenty of room to still, to still sort of subvert that expectation. Yeah. So she... Uh, yeah, that gets played off of a few times with somebody who just really thinks they're being, they're very earnest about what they believe and it's totally wrong. Or they've been brainwashed. I can just imagine how fun it would be to be with somebody around somebody who um, doesn't understand when they're lying. <laughs> right. Like, because there, there are mental disorders and personality disorders where they don't understand that they're lying. Mm-hmm. So. Reality's a crutch. What are you going to say? It's a crutch that can be very handy, though. So, but what is it that you think really makes your series special and stand out from all the other ones that are wonderful, too? Um, you guys ask these just real simple, simple, easy questions, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, There's very little... Um, it's very little fighting in my books. I know that's not like normal for epic fantasy. There's very few battles. Almost none of the characters are in any way fighters. Like they're the storytellers and the historians. And this is like the traveling theater troupe. Um, and one of them's like a half elf. So he can like shoot a bow, you know, but they're, they're not. And nobody's going to win anything in these books because of like brawn. Um so I think that I, I get a lot of comments in reviews about how much less like physical action there is in the stories. And then it's always followed with, but I wasn't bored. <laughs> so it's good to know that <laughs> that doesn't mean boring. Um, so in this one, especially, I think it's having it all couched around this theater group and uh, their goal is to get people to listen to them. And so they need to put on like the best show they can at the right place with the right audience. And so there's this different dynamic and like they have all these schemes going and they're working really hard to get to it, but um, nothing is based on like a physical fight at the end. It's very much, can we, there's a lot of discussion about who tells the story that people believe. And when people are, when the people in charge are spreading lies, what is that? How do, how do you counter that? How do you spread the truth? to people and have them believe it and not just think it's just another lie or something like that. So there's just a lot of interesting, it was really, I mean, it feels sort of timely <laughs> to discuss how you just, how you decide what the truth is that you're hearing about the world around you. That okay. is a really, it, that's a really good, but once again, you said you loved um, science fiction, well, fantasy, because you can talk about those things without it being, Quite so, as in yeah. your face. So this is yeah. sort of mystery thriller almost with just a fantasy backdrop. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say there's any like thriller. I don't think anybody's ever like the thriller scared, but there's this definite sense of um it's more it's a definite suspense problem to be solved yes. and a mystery to be solved. And the more they get into it, the more they realize that this empire that's this looming threat has really painted itself as not a problem and everybody's falling for it. So yeah, there's this trying to figure out what exactly the threat is and how they can counter it in a way that's at all effective against people that are already sort of brainwashed against it. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what tropes do you think you really hit best with the dragon's reach? Uh, probably the found family one. Um, 
um, because that troop that she travels with, like she's been in charge. She has two younger sisters actually. And she's been in charge of them and like taking care of their orphaned. Their parents were killed in the prologue. <laughs> parents always die in prologues. Um, <laughs> but they, and so she's been on her own since she was 15 with these two younger sisters. And so she's, she's like 25 in the book. So it's not YA, but um, yeah. So she's just been in charge this whole life and never really had anybody helping her it was all her responsibility and so this um she meets this yeah, troop and the fact that they come alongside her and like make this new family is like a new experience for her yeah but it definitely sounds like this is a ya appropriate book yes so. it is and so i, I mean, wrote i i wrote it so that my kids can read it whenever they're interested in it so like all my books are like like pg rated at the most but but I don't like, I mean, we, it talks a lot about like loss and death and grief. And like, there's all these adult concepts mm -hmm. that we're talking about, or, you know, like the other one with the whole, but, I mean, did I grow up to be what kids, I want? <laughs> kids have those kind of concepts, like mm -hmm. particularly after the year we just had kids have those kind of discussions. And, and even before COVID, like there's still mm -hmm. things that can happen in a kid's life where kind of reading those things can help give them that toolbox yeah, to discuss them yeah. in real life. But also, you know, uh, YA was not a thing when I was in the YA age group. Me so I, I just read adult, but um, mm -hmm. I think also having characters that you can want to emulate like that maturity or how they handle conflict or something like that. Mm -hmm is good for kids to see too. They Because a lot of YA just seems to be like, well, we're just going to make the adults messed up in the head. Yes. Like adults are this like, the adults are the overcome is a, is a far too common trope. Agreed. In YA, in my opinion. Yes. yes. But mm -hmm. I say that as a parent, so. Yeah, I, I read books a little differently now when I, they, you read them and they're like, oh, these parents are so unreasonable. I'm like, I kind of actually am signing on the parents with this when you lost me. Like, yeah, you shouldn't run very, with Susie. I'm sorry. My very favorite non, it's not fantasy or sci-fi, but my very favorite TV show is Psych. And I don't know if you guys ever watched Psych. I did. We watched a bit of it. He when was we first started. Blueberry. Oh my goodness. Yes. And we first started before we had kids and we were like always on the sun side. And then after we have kids, like we watch it now and we're like, I kind of get what the dad is talking about. <laughs> like I, I've switched sides. <laughs> Funny how having kids does that to you. Takes away it all does. the fun you used to be. Yeah. Now I can relate to those, those old shows where the where the parents are telling we were really fun and cool before you guys ruined everything. Yep. Yes, Doc. I was fun once. All right. So one now, time, exactly one time. <laughs> you wash your mouth. All right. So now <laughs> onto the story itself. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the main character? What do you think makes her special in the crowded field of science or fantasy? Excuse me. <laughs> um, she she never becomes some like kick-ass heroine who's like running around and like beating people. In fact, she's like out of her depths a lot. And every time she just she starts to get something, uh, something new shows up, and she realizes again just how out of her depth she is. Like the there's sort of some different layers of villains in the story and each one is just um, miles ahead of her in <laughs> being like cunning as to how they're going to take care of whatever needs to be done. And so she's, um, 
but but I think she's very like earnest and she uh well she's incredibly protective of her sisters and she ends up doing things to keep them safe that you're just like I can't you shouldn't have done that that was a stupid thing to do but um being the older sibling I understand yeah like she just has a very strong sense that she needs to keep them safe and um neither sister's in a very good situation so she's not super crazy in what she does with it um but she she ends up sort of um like she saves this little creature so i have a kobold in this book but not like lizardy kobold it's like based on i think it was originally german mythology but it's like uh, more like a house elf um like dobby but not like uh self-deprecating all the time like she's like she has this this magic to uh, make more of something so if you have she loves fabric so if you have a little fabric she can like make you a skirt out of that fabric because she can like create more of it um with really good limitations like she can't make more metal very easily so she can't like make you a ton of gold or something like that but she, she um beverages i haven't actually had her do beverages she I'm doesn't do good with bottomless beer food. or wine for doc because you know she's more classy <laughs> than me that could be fun I'll have to experiment with that in the last book. Yeah, but Sable ends up saving her life kind of inadvertently because she just, like, her her instinct is just sort of to, like, help and to save people and to keep them safe, and so she does. And um, it turns out that that's the way you get the loyalty of a kobold is if you save its life, it's, like, completely loyal to you, like, happily, lovingly loyal to you. And so she has this little kobold. Yes. And this, and the kobold's name is pernicious and she's just like super exuberant to be helpful about everything and she's the most fun character to write because she's just always like i will do whatever <laughs> like what can i do and she always like makes sable really obnoxiously bright clothes and things like that so she's great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing you're not a fan of dark clothes well you live in montana so it's probably like state law or something you have to wear plaid huh yep see yep i, I, I figured that's what was going on I you know what? I like plaid shirts. I almost wore a plaid shirt tonight. Do I need to go get my plaid so that you don't? No, I, I mean, Montana law would you? They'd be appreciated. They might make you an honorary Montanan. They might. I, I have a bunch of. Uh, I I love Eddie Bauer plaid shirts. Mm-hmm. It's good it's a to good know. Choice. All Solid right, choice. so you know that's very Montanan, and so we might have to move the whole podcast at the rate you're going, Doc. But uh, were there any cool <laughs> secondary? Char- She's going to get it. She's not joking. Were there any cool secondary characters that were especially <laughs> memorable to you? Um, so pernicious is probably the most there you go perfect (laughs) um the kobold is the one i get the most emails about definitely what about your favorite people adore um the playwright he's older his name is atticus and he uh he's a fan of like classic old plays that he thinks have like deep meaning and he's always going on about audiences and how you can change the world with the right story and um he was really fun to write because he's just um a little bit quirky but but this really solid like he kind of turns into the mentor figure that you didn't really know you wanted because you didn't know you were needed a mentor to explain to you how to act correctly and what a theater troupe can do but he was really he's really fun to write and he's in the whole series so were any of your characters based on people you know in real life? Names changed to protect the innocent or guilty? I have not done that. And I feel like maybe I I, I could. I mean, 
Yeah, I haven't. I chose one name, which I won't even like share, but one of the names for kind of an like annoying, very small part side character. I needed a, a name for someone I knew was going to be annoying. And a friend of mine had, she had been trying to be traditionally published and she had an agent um, that ended up treating her horribly and had this big falling out. And so the character is named after that agent, but only because I was like, I need an annoying name. And that happened that day. So I was like, well, there it is. <laughs> it's like fate was answering your call. It's right. It's right. All right. So you've talked a little bit about the evil empire in the background, although sometimes mm -hmm. evil empires get a bad rap. I'm just saying the rebels were real, the real terrorists and the Jedis were evil, but we'll move on. Uh, does your story have any bad guys aside from that overarching sort of theme of the, the evil empire that the characters have to face? It's no spoilers, obviously. Yes. Um, without spoilers, the, the, that, gang boss that she's indentured to at the beginning uh she escapes him but she ends up having to come back to the city um they have to come back at the end because they have to warn everyone about the evil empire uh so um he is still causing all sorts of trouble and actually like ending up like making himself a little bit more legitimate in the city as a whole and he's horrible so he's probably the one of the worst all my kids have read my books and they're waiting for me to kill him off. They're like, when's he gonna die? <laughs> like they're usually very sweet, but they have this list of people in this book that like I'm they writing have a the good list book. for your books. That's all awesome. they do. They're like, this guy, he's gotta die. And I was like, can have he just seen... be like has his life destroyed? And they're like, no, he's gotta die. <laughs> have you seen Billy Madison? I have not. It's a, it's an Adam Sandler movie, but it's got the funny scene where he call he's calling his the bully that he the kid he picked on in high school when he was the bully to say I'm sorry, and the guy's sitting there with a list of kill list that he's about ready to go do and playing drawing on his face with lipstick, and he just takes the lipstick and crosses Billy's name off the list. I'm sort of picturing <laughs> your kids now writing their little hit list. Yeah, <laughs> drawing, they have it. <laughs> they so also have a list. I, of I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, they have a characters that I'm not allowed to kill. Like I have killed off a few of their favorite characters over the other books. And so do you get like, in trouble? So. Do they come into the kitchen and like yell at you? Yeah. My daughter's still mad about one. She must have read it like four or five years ago. She's still mad. <laughs> I almost feel so. like you need to like name gremlins after your kids so you can have them be like the murderous gremlins. Be hilarious. <laughs> Obviously protecting their privacy, but mm -hmm. this is a great idea. I I love that idea. That is very adorable. Um, then you can call your children gremlins when you're calling them on the playground. That's right. Maybe the dedication for the third book will be like, here you go, kids. I killed off the ones you asked for. <laughs> you finally get what you want. I have seen some. Here is your pound of flesh. Back when, when uh, author Twitter used to be more congenial and less everybody hating everybody, there was a couple mm -hmm. of the funny um like dedications like this book is dedicated to my wife and kids who without them would have been finished a year sooner or something like <laughs> yeah. some some funny burns that are the way they were written that's hilarious um yeah no one of the yeah. percy jackson books or something my kids love those too one of the ones Good that stuff. came out recently the dedications like to my readers i'm really sorry about the way i ended the last book well not really sorry but a little sorry <laughs> 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 Oh, you know, there good. was a meme and it, it, I saw the other day and it was hilarious. It was, you know, it's badass to see guys standing in front of the things they destroyed. And it had Iron Man, 
Black Panther and Thor, and then it had the two producers of Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) That burns so hard. (laughs) But true. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Undeniably true. I think they even understand it. Yeah, I think so. You need to take a deep breath before you ask your second favorite question in this group. You ready? Yes. You need to warm up. Are you okay? Nope. I don't need to warm up. I'm good. It's Georgia. It's hot down here. So, <laughs> if, if your characters met you in a back alley, how do you think you'd fare if they knew who you were? So, I haven't finished the series. And um, two books are published. And if it was at the end of the first book where they met me, even though they're all actors, they'd probably kill me. Probably, like, I, would, I wouldn't stand a chance. After the end of book two... They're still probably pretty mad. I would but not want to be a these dramatic people. death, right? Like, it would be. It's dramatic. <laughs> I know there'd be like a, a poetic monologue about why I needed to die and something cruel. I mean, if you're gonna go, right? I mean, that's that's the yeah. way to do it. They probably wouldn't do it in the alley. They'd like bring me up on stage so that everyone could see, and then make it look like an accident. And like I didn't know how that prop arrow got switched to a real one. <laughs> we don't know how that happened. A big tragedy. Oh. <laughs> I I totally get that. Um, I I do. It's always that's a such a fun question to ask because it's always interesting to see how people <laughs> respond. But can you give us a sneak peek into how the sausage was made for these books? Were there any cool scenes or ideas you had to cut from the final book and the final edition, and then ended up using late? other in other ways or later or want to use if you or have want to use yes i um i plot my books out with the hope that i do not have stuff to cut but i'm very I'm very wordy and so i cut a lot a lot out of the books um i feel attacked why, <laughs> why, is, why is wordy a bad thing it's not right judge the eyes on us I'm not saying anything. I adore David Weber. Yeah, right. And you want There are very few people more wordy than David. That is true. So I, um, but I did have when I was finishing up Dragon's Reach. Um, there is a character that comes in in the next book, who I I really wanted to like put this like seed. He's not even named in the first book, but I wanted him when he showed up in the second book. I wanted people to be like, oh, I know who you are. Like you're significant, and then. Um, it could spiral from there. And I was really excited about it. And so before I was going to publish, I was going to go back in and just make a scene where he interacts with Sable. And he actually was going to give her some books to give to Atticus, that playwright. And I wrote, I know I wrote the scene. Um, and then I couldn't decide where to put the scene. And I was down to the wire with um, having to get it published. And so I swear I put that scene in the book. But when I got to book two and I got to the point where this character shows up again and I was all excited to reference, oh, Sable knows who he is because he's the one who gave her the book, blah, blah, blah. And I went back and I like read through Dragon's Reach, like over and over and searched and searched. And it's not there. So I had to rewrite his whole introduction in book two because now suddenly nobody knows who this guy is because he never, he, he did show up, but like even more nameless and in passing in the first book than possible. So I I have 
I have a missing part. I don't know what happened to it. It's going to be like someday I'm going to find some weird version that didn't get saved right. And there, my scene's going to be. <laughs> so I had oh to. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's like the opposite of what we normally get. Right. That's the opposite. A great story. Yeah. Still. Um, it happens. And when you have so many editions going, and if you're going back and forth with a publisher, and that kind of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll ask my kids sometimes. I'll be like, did that conversation end this way or that way? And they'll be like, you know what? You should make your kids make the wiki. I should because they'd know what happened. And I'd be like, oh, really? Is that why you that version that went out? DJ Butler has his kids run his Patreon. I mean, it could could totally be like a homeschooling thing. Like you're learning marketing and there you go. Web something something i mean something. i'm pulling this out of my backside but I mean, i'm sure you could do it right editing and plotting yeah. and mm-hmm. history organization skills i can come up with this kind of stuff i'm good right? history it's fake history so they're teaching themselves how to learn history it's the historiography side no 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 no. they're teaching mm-hmm. them how to selves how to learn and organize facts and information something see like if we that. make it like sound like core curriculums and yeah we do that vague they're organizing and something 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 see and if we wanted to sound on like a resume then we need to go with the their marketing and developing global histories of imaginary worlds nice <laughs> nice so what can you tell us about the universe writ large you mentioned a little bit about the kingdom and the the hidden shadow empire coming for them uh, so in many of the worlds uh, where the stories take place, the world is as much a character as the protagonist or antagonist. So what all can we expect besides dragons? Because it's in the title. <laughs> There's very few dragons, actually. So don't get your hopes up about dragons if you're going to read it. Um, there's one dragon in the first series and he comes and he shows up on and off. But like the dragons in my world are smog type dragons, not like how to train your dragon type dragons. And so they're very like, you can't really kill them. Like they're, they're, they're too big and too strong. So even like the magic people don't, don't really have a defense against them. Thankfully there's not very many dragons. So they, they show up sometimes and cause chaos, but they're not trying to kill everyone or something like that. So I've heard Um, that's because there's like some sort of cosmic law that you can only have so many dragons written about in literature and um, (laughs) McCaffrey used most of them in her series. So there just wasn't a lot left for everyone else. She did. that? That was the problem. See, she, but she was amazing with them. We're happy to let her have them. She did great. Doc is like a, it's part of her one man fan club. So I just give her to. I am. Uh, <laughs> I was a weird one. I'm technically a werewoman. So you better sit down and shut up. I don't know if that means we'll talk offline. All right. So, <laughs> uh, Dragon's Reach is clearly part of the series. I know because it says so on Amazon. And you told us so repeatedly. There are currently three books out in this series. But is their story done? Where, where do you see this series and universe going? Yeah, so the third one is still on pre-order. It'll be out in May, assuming I get it written by May, which maybe. Um, the next, I'll, I'll be staying in this universe. Like I just, I like it. I feel no need to leave. So the next one um, will probably be back for, this is like 400 years before the other. Um, series and the series are all standalone but they do reference each other kind of back and forth so that's fun um but they'll the next series will be again in the future probably more about the different different keepers i have a fun idea about a female keeper and an elf who she's friends with and adventures so that's where it'll go awesome 
All right. So in the side chat, if you you could see a dear listener, she's trying to educate me about all things Pern in, in like 500 characters or less. Um, and it's not going well. She needs more room. So we'll talk to the people at StreamYard to see if they can give her give her what she needs. But uh, we know every... Let's roll over. Yeah. <laughs> we know every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. At least the good ones do. And the ones that don't, we shake our heads and throw the books at the wall. Mm-hmm. Or Kindles. That's happened before. <clears throat> um, I, I might be on my third Kindle. Oops. Um, <laughs> so what sort of uh, technology and magic can we expect from these books? Get a nook. They last longer. Yeah, but Bezos would get really mad at me. Good thing I don't care about Bezos. <laughs> what kind of heresy are you speaking? Anyway. The kind that involves asking, him not signing my paycheck. This is true. This is true. Um, he sends so, me a lot of paychecks, so I kind of like him. You yeah. know what? I When somebody cuts me a paycheck, I'm a lot more tolerant of them. Right? I'm like, oh, you're excused from a lot. <laughs> so what yeah. sort of tech can we expect from these books and magic? Um, so it's a, it's a pretty like probably typical fantasy world. It's pretty medieval. We don't have a lot of technology going on. Um, and really all of the magic. Um, I have one character who this doesn't follow and it drives me crazy. And she's just a side character and I don't know how to solve this. But um, all of the magic, really, it's all like transference of energy. So like my physics background so it was like which how how would the energy transfer how much would be lost in the transfer because there is there's all sorts of energy loss and it causes like them pain when they do it and stuff so it's um thermodynamics yes it's it's a lot of thermodynamics as a chemist i took an entire semester semester of thermodynamics and i actually did enjoy it me too i know it's interesting it made um, calculus three, which is partial derivatives, make mm-hmm. sense and why it we did. Care it was about it. finally a use for that. <laughs> yes. So I took Betty Crocker calculus and chemistry for non-science majors, so I didn't have to do any of that. And we just got a lot of pitying looks from the RAs that were teaching the class. They're like, "You poor children." <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to take quantum mechanics. It has to turn. I haven't yet had to use it, but I'm me neither. I took the history of history, though. So, historiography, man. So, there's that. I mean, I, That's sort of the same thing. If I could pat you on the head, I would. <laughs> Is this another short joke, Doc? No, it's <laughs> a, a all cute little Bachelor's of Arts thinks he had it hard. <laughs> I mean, you, you didn't sit through that class, right? You don't know how horrific the history of history was for us. But let's ask her about her science and stuff, all right, Doc? Jeez. <laughs> okay, is it my turn? Yes, question 29. No of more all the magic invented in the universe, which one would you want to use on a daily basis? That's a good question. So none of it's like super powerful. Um, this isn't like books for people who want like the mage who takes over the world with his amazing powers. Um, I have one character from my first series named Will who uh, can actually um, sense, feel what other people are feeling at any given time. And that's um, handy with teenagers. Yes, right. And so it really helps him like understand <laughs> the people around him because he's the one who gets stuck in the grassland and it's like in this foreign land where everyone hates people from where he's from and blah, blah, blah. So, um, but really interesting, like him 
realizing how like similar because he you know he has to go to this sort of clan chief guy who he thinks is like nothing like himself and so it's really cool as they go through the book and they develop this friendship and he can you know to, to like feel what somebody else is feeling it makes it a lot harder to discount everything that these people that feel so foreign to him like it, it makes it harder for him to discount the things that they're thinking and seeing because he can like actually if he if he tries at all he can feel how they're feeling and so when he's in a bad mood sometimes he like well, like purposely like I'm not gonna feel what you're feeling because I don't want to know I want to continue to disagree with you but um I pretty much stay at home all the time <laughs> because I work from home my kids are homeschooled like so I guess I would mostly just feel my family's <laughs> and they're all pretty uh, open anyway so usually I know what they're feeling but it'd be cool so I the next question is how would you abuse it in daily life <laughs> I would, use it to, <laughs> I, would, I would use it to manipulate people's answer to what do you want for dinner and to like the simplest solution. Yeah. My son's what? eating the you same thing for three nights again? in a row. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> they're very easy to cook for, actually. They're very like, they're already there. I have to come up with a better diabolical use for it because, yeah. See, that diabolical use makes total sense to me. But then again, my son has asked for miso soup with new rom with rice ramen and meatballs three nights in a row. Nice. Is that good or bad? When it's good, you just got to keep having it. Okay. I, I, I don't know. He's happy and it, and it fits his diet plan. So I'm not going to worry. There you go. It's somewhat healthy ish there's no sugar <laughs> we will take that as a win then <laughs> so um do you have fantastic creatures in your universe i mean you talked a little bit about the dragons mm -hmm. but are there um, other fantastical creatures so there's there's elves and dwarves um that are very um they're pretty tolkieny like the dwarves are very Tolkien kind of dwarves um, and the elves some of the elves um, are more whimsical <laughs> than Tolkien would have ever made his elves um, but uh, they're fine. So are they tall elves like Tolkien or short elves like TSR? Um, tall like well they're like human size they're not like super taller than people but yeah tall so when okay. they but they live in the forest and they love the trees and you know very elvy kind of stuff. Um, but like when uh, when Will is on the grasslands, he actually meets a grass elf who is um, who just loves grass. Like she loves grass so much, she just talks about it all the time, and um, which I really needed because I was like, I'm I picturing now like a stoned hippie, like for some reason. <laughs> maybe maybe I hung out with the wrong people growing up. I don't know. <laughs> Different you were kind of a history major. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's those and there's goblins and there's the kobolds. And I don't know that there's any like super duper um, brand new creative creatures that you've never heard of. Um, I made some, this one thing, it was like a bory and it tried to like lure women in to kill them. I needed a bad guy for a scene. So um oh well, you know that yeah. sounds very evil it was evil he was i didn't like him unless much. they had it coming i mean that is sometimes <laughs> a valid defense <laughs> what now some people just deserve <laughs> to die her kids already have the list they know what's up 
JR, go eat some pineapple on your pizza. That's true. That is how you end up evil. (laughs) I'm not saying it made you evil, but I'm not not saying it either, Doc. I might have started that way. Pretty sure if you ask my brother, she started this way. All right. So, what? Go ahead. I was going to steal your question to get the show moving, but I mean, if you're ready to do your job before we fire you again. Jerry, you can't fire me. Your mother <laughs> likes me better than you. And she true. handles sadly, the book. Actually. So she never have let her tell you that. You know what? <laughs> it's okay. So um with your dragon, did you just let folklore inspire you, or did you, you know, come up with any fun twists on your own or nightmares <laughs> or the ramblings of teenage children? <laughs> um I would say most of it's pretty solidly based in like 80s and 90s fantasy, except like not nice dragons. I know there's a lot of nice dragons in those things, but dragons are always evil. Okay. (laughs) Always should be evil. Um, But no, I think most of it is um, like there are so many really fun tropes that we all love about those older stories and so what I really wanted to do was create a world that had all those tropes that we could um that felt like it had been brought back to life right that it didn't feel like we were reading a book that was 30 40 years old however old it's been um but but it but but like new characters like new dwarves that are especially dwarvish with a V, yeah. like Tolkien says, dwarfish. And um, yeah, that we could fall in love with because they're gruff and they love rocks and tunnels and, and jewels. Flannels? And flannel. They would totally wear flannel. I love flannels. The one we thing would I don't them... like about the South is it's very difficult to wear flannel in the South. I don't so. know how you survive. I don't do I don't do hot, only cold. <laughs> so do your dragons have, breathe fire? It's like 70, de- it's like 60 degrees in there. <laughs> Janice, do you, do your dragons breathe fire? They do, they do. And you said and they're you, big. You you relied on like eighties and nineties tropes. So does that mean you didn't watch in the eighties Puff the Magic Dragon or Pete's Dragon? Because they were. Friendly <laughs> I did dragons. actually. They were very friendly. That is true. But no, it was really smog. I mean, smog just like he ruined all of the dragons for you. Smog <laughs> is kind of awesome. Smog is much better than Pete's Magic Dragon. But Pete had some good coffee he made later in his life. That's all I'm going to say. You've never heard of Pete's coffee? I have. I just didn't like it. You clearly have no taste. <laughs> Pineapple on pizza. What am I? What do I see? That's that's all I you need. You know what? Learn. My all bourbon right. collection is much more expensive than yours. That's because I'm cheap. I like cheap beer. But anyway, we're not here to discuss her poor liquor taste and my excellent taste in, in adult beverages. So uh, as this interview is winding down, before we wrap this up, you could stick your nose back down. It doesn't need to go that high in the air. Before we wrap this up, was there anything about Dragon's Reach that we didn't ask that you want to tell us? Nope. <laughs> All right. So we did our job then. All right. Last Yay! question. Is Dragon's Reach available? Did job. Woohoo. I get to double my pay now. Um, was there any audio? From half pay. Oh, crap. That means it's like only three quarters of where I started. You and your math. Ooh, you're learning. <laughs> was there, uh, were there audiobooks available for this? Uh, yes. Actually, um, 
Bryce O'Connor, who we talked about, who introduced us to each other. He helped uh, produce um, the audiobooks for The Keeper Chronicles, which is Tim Gerard Reynolds narrates those, and he's awesome. And then Kate Redding is doing um, The Keeper Origins. And so the first two books are out in audio. The the first, the second one just came out a couple weeks ago. So awesome. and the third will come out whenever I get the book written. Yeah. So, so those are, they that, did a that, great job. The, the origin story would be difficult, I would think, for, for narration decisions because if you have a female main character, traditional wisdom says you get a female narrator. But if you've got every book has a different main character, do you go with making the right gender for the narrator or keeping one through the whole series? And there are some people that will feel both ways on that and you can't please everybody. So you mm-hmm. kind of put yourself in a little bit of a pickle right there. Yeah. So my first series, it's two males and then a female um, main character. And they each get a solid book. Like it doesn't go back and forth between them. They each one has their own book. Um, so that one, they did do the whole thing with Tim Gerard Reynolds. Um, and he did a great job with a female um, book. It's the third book of the series. And he did a great job with that one too. Um, but then Keeper Origins, it, it is all Sable's point of view. So we just have a female. Uh, and so they did decide though, since the entire series is a female character, we didn't go with Tim again. So they found a female narrator for it too. Uh, okay. Which is fine. I, I, don't, I don't have really strong feelings about it, but I know audiobook readers can get like listeners, I guess, not readers, can get a little little touchy about I what you do with their narrators. On, I think it depends on the skill level of the narrator, whether or not they do good on the gender. Um, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's opposite what their natural voice gender is. Mm. Um, but I think it, it's just the what throws me the most is if you bring in somebody else with a completely different style. Yeah, if you switch, and uh, uh, like I, I've, I've listened to a couple of series where they had a completely different style, and that kind of threw me off when they said the I switch. Yeah. But I mean, because I I listen to audiobooks oh 30, 20 to thirty hours in a week. Um, I have a problem. I'm not fixing it's it. It's just like kindergarten where your teacher reads to you. It's story time all over again for you, Doc. <laughs> Except this time I get to make fireballs while she... <laughs> and true. I actually pay attention better. Um, fireballs are always fun unless it's your job that you blow up and your boss gets really mad. So You know what? The 20, 30 foot plume of purple smoke was not my fault. So we're all good. I'm, I'm just saying, did the fire inspector say that? Or is that just your cover up? Oh, we didn't even bother bringing him out. We got that under control. <laughs> so OSHA does not know. Understood. We will not talk about this anymore. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, how did you make Janice on your... Did you bribe her before the show? Is that what's going on here? Am I just no. late to the party to figure this out? It's not my fault that I have instant rapport with amazing women. Uh, oh. I, I still think you set, you, you set me up with Jennifer. So I think this is all part of your evil plan. But... Um, All right. So before we we let you go, uh, we want to let you, dear listeners, know that uh, your thoughts matter, too. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. The right reviews, your reviews help the right reader find the right books. So uh, Mm -hmm. and rumor has it for every hundredth review, the author gets a free unicorn. And and I I really think Janice wants to one for each of her children. So she just needs all the reviews because she couldn't give to just one. That would be wrong. They'd fight. It would be. It would. So it would each be. gremlin needs their own unicorn. So we just we need you to step it up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. 
All right. And if, if you know, you, you review it on Amazon already, you know, wouldn't hurt to hop on over to BookBob or, or Goodreads or wherever else you review books. Make a blog and review them there. Start a podcast, whatever. Barnes & Noble. Do they have a review Feel- section? Their website is not very user-friendly, Doc, all right? They just need to get with the 20th century. You're just not user-friendly. Also <laughs> true, but that's besides the point. We're not here to talk about my issues, all right? <laughs> all right. So, uh, Janice, uh, as publishing as J.A. Andrews, so you know what you're looking up to your listener, can you tell uh, our audience how they can find you? Um, yep. I have uh, jaandrews.com is my website, which is not as well kept up as it should be but it exists and you can find links to signed books or um there's a decent number of blog posts that are just my newsletter i have a like way more fun than most authors that i know writing my newsletter like i i'm totally entertained by my own newsletter so sometimes that makes it onto my website when i remember um so that's fun we talk about weird words and uh, stories about when I went to Verizon and actually had the guts to tell the guy there that I was an author and his response and that kind of stuff. So that was fun. Um, and then, so I'm there. I'm on Facebook, uh, just J.A. Andrews. It, it looked like me. If it looks like a man as an author, that's not me because there's two male J.A. Andrews authors. You don't judge. And, yeah, but it, I don't look like them. And then, Do they write dragons though? No, no mystery stuff. So you and actually, have one writes romance. Than... What'd you say? So you so have, have more, more fun, fun than they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And I can't um, do the romance yeah. anymore. So, you know, we, we, we... long story. But um, <laughs> all right. And as usual, dear listener, the notes, the show notes will include all of her links. So you can you can stalk her as you do. So what kind of stuff, just because we, you mentioned newsletter, and I like to encourage people, if they like an offer, to sign up for their newsletter. Oh, yep. It helps them be, um, be able to ride the tide of the insanity that's happening in our culture and they can weather that storm with you, dear reader together. Uh, if they have uh, you, they can sell to directly. So what kind of stuff do you put in your newsletter that has you so entertained? Um, it, it's usually just little stories. There's a fruit fly that's like buzzing my face. Um, it but it's usually... Montana. So it's literally as big as a house. No lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They grow big. Um it's often just little snippets of, of my life that I find entertaining or something that I've done that was sort of ridiculous that I feel like needs to be shared. Um, <laughs> occasionally it's about my books, but it's often more like just something really fun that's going on. So it comes out once a week. If you sign up, you get a free short story called Ghost of the White Woods. There's actually there's <laughs> there's another story called The Blackhorn. So they're both free depending on which newsletter sign up you find you will get one of those two stories and then if you email me i'll just send you the other one um i was <laughs> cleaning up links again too and there's this one i can't figure out where people are signing up from and they keep getting <laughs> one of the stories i don't i don't know where they're coming from um but it's magic yeah, it is it is it's just like it's out there in the interwebs somewhere living so yeah all right I think you you got to be creative with the newsletter so you don't just blah and go go boring. So my yeah. readers get my therapy hour. I mean, they get stories of what happened to me when I was in the army. So I mean, you got to do things. Got to do things. Keep it interesting. So funny stories about life in Montana. I mean, mm-hmm. all the plaid you can handle, people. So go sign up. Exactly. Hey, I like plaid, Jr. I mean, everybody well, likes Montana, plaid. aren't you? you I thought we established this. If you I, should. I, I can't drive in snow. Oh, we'll get you a horse. Mind. It'll be okay. 
You were a debutante. I'm sure you ride horses. That's totally what you do. All right. I do and not ride side saddle. I'm going to just say that and leave that there. Scandalous. No wonder they kicked you out. All right. So you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. We're on the Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Again, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can send all of your hate mail to Doc Seska at blasters and blades podcast.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. And sometimes doc drunk posts. So it gets really entertaining. You can support the show at uh, anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tag blades, much like a Patreon system where you can support us on a reoccurring monthly basis to help keep the lights on and the show coming. Or you can do a one-time donation over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash uh, author J.R. Handley. And uh, tell me this for the podcast. And uh, we will keep Doc Staska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. Never. you're not a quitter. That's right. And, uh, and they will uh, argue. I'm not a quitter. They will argue back and forth on the merits of which beverage will get them more intoxicated while I sober drive this thing into the oblivion. All right, Doc, <laughs> bring it home. Eventually, we need to stop leaving the brain damaged person to be the sober one. I mean, I'm not saying I don't drink. I just don't do it on the air like you do. That's all. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber, the Comet Geek, J.R. Handley, I'm Seska. This was a Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same where. We'll, where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, pineapple on pizza, torture, and most importantly, torturing J.R. They're plotting <laughs> against me, people. Send help. There's no plotting needed. It's just easy. It's like breathing. <laughs>